Welcome. Thanks for tuning in today. So glad you have found us, especially if this is your first time. We hope it's not your last time. And you could do us a favor by clicking on the digital connection card above or leaving a comment in the chat about who you are and maybe an email address we could connect with you. And then if there's a prayer request you might have or if there's a question that we might be able to answer. But we are certainly glad you found us. And if this is your spiritual home, we are grateful, too, for your being part of our online experience and say welcome. And again, would invite you to use that same uh, connection card up above or leave a comment in the chat that we can uh, respond to you and uh, hope all's going well. But as we gather, this is the fifth Sunday of Easter. And as we lean into this week, it was the week on Thursday that was the National Day of Prayer number of activities in Ashland. There was a gathering in the morning for breakfast. Had the pleasure of joining our friend uh, Mark Boyer from uh, Rise FM Radio for uh, an amazing morning of encouragement from uh, Danae Dobson, who is uh, James Dobson's daughter. Uh, She shared just about the history, the fact that it was the 71st National Day of Prayer. And during that time, after her presentation, there was a time of uh, directed prayer where area pastors and faith leaders stood and prayed various aspects of our communities, from law enforcement and first responders to health care and Christian schools and public schools and our elected officials, from the president down to the local township trustee. And so grateful that we can be part of that. Here in Mansfield, they celebrated the National Day of Prayer with a parade down Marion Avenue to Park Avenue to the gazebo that ended in a time of worship and prayer there. And I also want to share that a couple weeks ago, a number of us served our neighbors at the uh, St. Luke's Point of Grace for the community meal, and that's always such a great time, such an encouragement to those that are in need, and it was a great opportunity for us to just uh, put our serve on. And so together as we come, we come to worship our God. Grateful for the many things that God blesses us with. Uh, first, the freedoms that we have to worship freely. And then even particularly the technology that allows us to create this platform to connect you uh, to just all that God's doing through Linden Road and also through the kingdom. We are in week five of our series called Got Doubt. And we've walked through a number of things, and actually this past week received a couple of messages through friends about just how they encountered last week's message, of just trying to deal with the fact that the church has hurt people, and that has created some disconnect. And so it's something we don't want to talk about, uh, at the one hand, because it, it, it just admits to—it's something we don't want to talk about sometimes because of just the reality of— that the church is filled with broken people. But it is that reality that the church is filled with broken people that gives us the opportunity to invite others into this story. And I think just as I've watched the news this week, and and again, as we've pushed through a week of uh, trauma in various communities from Atlanta to uh, Louisville to other places where, where gun violence has become just part of our norm, and I think it reflects just the cry that's there for so many people to try to better understand how to deal with the things in their life. Even this week as I was in jail, uh, shared the new trailer from the Flash movie that's coming out uh, later this summer. And how that storyline, uh, how those uh, great movies uh, reflect our lives to some degree. That there's out of brokenness, people lean into doing difficult things, and when they lean into those difficult things, uh, it creates other disconnect. And even to be reminded that every story we know, right, has a, has a person whose character is the hero, 
and also a character that is the villain. And to be honest, as those people start their stories, in whatever story you pick, uh, they start out at the same place. And then as life comes to them, and it creates a disconnect in terms of how people live their lives out, some with difficulty and some with choosing wrong things that ends up uh, creating all sorts of issues in our community. But I want us to see this week as we look at uh, this idea of one of the reasons I think people doubt God or even doubt Christianity isn't because of who Jesus was in terms of how he lived his life and even how Jesus uh, carried on his relationship with others uh, as he walked on the earth, where Jesus creates a, for some a difficulty of believing and doubting is because of what he claimed. And so I think it's just part of our culture. In fact, they tell us that uh, in, in proper company, you should never talk about, what, two things, religion and politics. And so it's one thing for us to talk about God in sort of a large sense and talk about being spiritual. We can do that with not a lot of controversy. But it's when we lean into talking about Jesus as the Son of God, as the one who came to restore us and to redeem us and to... Uh, bring us into right relationship of God. I mean, we think about it, many great celebrations, right, athletic or in uh, fandom, uh, stars, you know, it, uh, in the movie uh, industry, they'll take to the stage as they get their awards and they'll celebrate that uh, God has uh, given them this opportunity and they want to thank God. But when people begin to mention Jesus, uh, when they actually bring him up, as a named person, it can create some disconnect and it can create some uncertainty in how to handle it. And it has to do with who Jesus is. And and so I think we have to, as we think about doubting God, is it's just one more avenue of where we need to address it. I mean, truthfully, when we look at who Jesus is, uh, some would say, you know, that he's just a great moral teacher and that's wonderful to know. And, and you can't hardly not like him for the things that he did. The truth is, as we look at his life, as we look at the, the gospel accounts, we know that he uh, loved people. We know that he embraced those that were broken, right? Tax collectors and prostitutes and uh, others. Uh, he spent time with sinners, with real people. And as he approached people who were in leadership, he uh, created a sense of humbleness around them. And, and even we know that he defended poor widows, and then we think about the various things he accomplished, right? His first miracle at the wedding of Cana was an incredible time where he restocked the wine for the party and brought out the best wine, right? Or the time that he was on a hillside that he multiplied a young boy's lunch uh, that took two uh, fish and five loaves and multiplied it so that everyone that was there on that mountainside could, could have a picnic. And so I think many folks, when they look at Jesus, they, they look at him and they love how he lived his life, how he loved others. But what they don't like and what people wrestle with are the claims that he made. The truth is, when we look at Jesus, he was beyond measure humble, right? As he, on that night he was betrayed, he went with his disciples into the upper room and got down on, on his knees and, and washed their feet. Uh, at the same time, there was nothing really modest about him. As he walked on earth, the encounters we see, for example, the day that Lazarus dies, he doesn't come and say, uh, oh, well, that's just life. But rather, he comes and, and establishes the promise that he is the resurrection and the life. 
where he got himself in trouble with the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, where he healed on the Sabbath. What does he say to them? He very clearly says to them, no, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And then there's a conversation that disconnects many people when we think about it because of how he wants us to see our relationship with him where he tells his disciples and those in the crowd that if you love your father and mother more than him, that you're not worthy of him. Again, it's to put perspective that uh, we see him as our uh, risen Lord and our King. So one of the reasons I want us to look at this week of why people, some people doubt that Christianity is true isn't because of how Jesus lived his life or isn't even how he loved others, but it's because of what he claimed. And what did he claim? Well, it's this truth that he and the Father are one. And that, and this is the one that can create some controversy and some disconnect with people, is that he is the only way to God. It's interesting, on Easter Sunday, we looked at the person of Thomas and how he struggled. And in John 14, Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to go prepare a place for you. And it's Thomas that responds and asks, but where are you going? And so it's interesting here in verse 6 of chapter 14, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So again, people loved how Jesus lived, and they loved uh, how he loved, but what they didn't like is what he claimed to be. This idea that Jesus can be the only way to God, well, that's just too exclusive. That's just too narrow for many people. And for some, it's this idea that there's only one way. People ask that question. And maybe they will even say, well, that's not fair. Who's that person to say? Or maybe there are those that think, well, one way? Really, there's only one way? How unfair is that? Who's to say? I mean, the idea, how, how narrow it is for us to begin with that idea. We need to be more inclusive. Uh, even that idea that we've heard, you just need to be sincere. It's not what you believe, but it's your sincerity of what you believe. And yet we know that Scripture true. And in this season, it seems as though that's one of the reasons why I think churches have struggled in our tribe and others because of declaring the truth that Jesus is the only way. Even the idea that some folks think that God is at the top of the mountain and that all paths religious paths lead to him, that all religions are the same. But I want us to see today that that's not true. I mean, it sounds good, right? It sounds reasonable that uh, how God would allow others to come to him. Uh, it even feels loving to say it that way, but it's not true. It's not how God's word uh, declares truth. And what I want us to see that in, in many religions, there are truth. There is some truth. There may even be some beauty in what the world religions think about God, but they're not the same. Now, let's just take a couple of them this morning. The idea of Buddhism, in that faith tradition, there is no God. There is no final existence. There is basically a recountless rebirth of who you are, reincarnation, and it just never ends, on and on and on. And what it does to the human person, what it does to the unique individual of each person, or Hinduism, which ends up being more about an impersonal God, and you use various elements, various idols, various deities, uh, statues to build your relationship as you uh, focus on uh, that internal spirit that's inside you. And what's true about these, uh, these faiths, these religions, is that there's no forgiveness of sin, and there's no real supernatural help. 
it, it really is life is filled with karma. Yeah, what goes around comes around. You get what you deserve, those type of things. Even with our friends that worship Islam, uh, who worship Allah, there is a personal God. Uh, there are no secondary gods. Uh, there is a total ban on idols. It's all about your religious devotion. It's about the works that you do. And then when we think about the age in which we live, it's becoming more and more secularized. There is this uh, new age understanding, the, the whole thing with crystals, and that there is no uh, personal God, that there is maybe a higher consciousness that a person can find, but it's just part of a larger mass of the universe and the cosmos, and there's no distinctiveness of who we are as people. And that's what makes Christianity different. Christianity, in so many different ways, I like to think of it in one way, that it's the only uh, faith, it's the only spiritual practice in which God becomes flesh, moves into our neighborhoods, reaches down into our plight, and helps restore us through shedding of his life for our benefit. It's that unconditional love that comes. Uh, it's that idea that Jesus came and he sacrificed his life for us to forgive us of our sins. If you've not seen the series called The Chosen, it's a beautiful telling of the gospel story through video. Let me share one video of the conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. God loves the world in this way, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. So the beauty of that and, and the beauty of technology to help us see that in the context, I just love how that conversation is played out in such a real way. And I think that's why The Chosen has resonated with so many people in telling the story and seeing Jesus in a way that many people have not encountered him. And so I want to say clearly that in our faith traditions, the, the religious uh, understanding that many people have, that we are going to find some truth and some beauty, but it's not the same as Christianity. And at the end of the day, what we believe hangs on this person called Jesus and who he is and what he did. So when we think about this idea of uh, who Jesus is, we, we look at him compared to all the other uh, spiritual leaders, if you will. There's something about who he is and how he uh, exists in our world. And I want to say clearly, uh, on the front end, it's not about our church and how we understand it. it. It's not even about the lives of the people you've met, even though they may be loving people. We know that some Christians are narrow and judgmental, and so I'm not talking about my perspective. And I know many churches right now are walking through all sorts of transition and change. The United Methodist Church is working through all sorts of complications over issues. I know in our tribe, the Peace USA, uh, in fact, in the uh, coming weeks, they're sponsoring a, a video series on uh, PBS. And even check out this short commercial here. Again, attempting to address the complications of our world and trying to address the disconnect. And 
inviting people into deeper relationship, uh, really beautiful things. But it's all insufficient to some degree because we really need to look at the character of Jesus first. And so I don't want you to look at my life. I don't want you to look at the life of other Christians. What I want you to do is I want us to look at who Jesus is because I promise you, if I haven't let you down, I will. So let's first consider the ministry of Jesus, what he did while he was here on earth. The truth is, as we look at his encounter in the world, right, the religious leaders, they snubbed those with uh, loose morals. Uh, they didn't want anything to do with the people who were those people, the broken and the disconnected. Even the idea of those who have a bad past, right, people who are drunkards or people who are poor, or who ha may have diseases like uh, leprosy or, or even have a mental illness. And what's interesting here is that Jesus, in his ministry on earth, those that people despised were the ones that he embraced. Those that people ignored and rejected, Jesus was the one that loved them and accepted them. Here in Mark chapter 2, verse 16, the writer says, When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Wow, I mean, it's just the things that Jesus did, right? The miracles he performed. He opened blind eyes. He, he gave us hearing to those that had deaf ears. He cast out demons. He walked on water. He even raised from the dead those that had died. And so what's interesting is I don't think any of the critics that he was dealing with, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I don't think they questioned the validity of the miracles. They just wanted him to stop because he was messing with their program, messing with their place, messing with their uh, perspective in the community. And when we think about all of our lives, right, those of us that have come to faith and knowing who Jesus is, that we're here today, that our lives have been impacted because of what Jesus did, that he brought freedom to the captives, as he said was his call to ministry. He broke the, the chains of our bondage and sin. He came to set us free, to find a wholeness in life that was new and fresh. It isn't just that he gives us sort of a, a revised version of ourselves. He actually changes who we are. My story isn't that radical in terms of the things that I experienced growing up. I came to faith as a young person, uh, yet I know the stories that I've heard from people who have been set free of, from the bondages of addiction and of uh, lust and pornography and uh, just all that uh, great sin that has uh, cast them into great despair, and yet Jesus restores them to a place of honor, a place of perspective that they can share their lives and, and share it with others to give hope. And so when we consider the ministry of Jesus, we, we, we build on that. But then we also need to build on the fact it wasn't just his life. It was the fact that he resurrected from the dead. So we need to give consideration to his resurrection. We, we know and operate from this idea that God loves us, and yet we know he also hates sin. That's why Jesus had to come. In fact, he had to become sin for us. And then what's beautiful is in that uh, act on Good Friday, is the Father forgives him, but forgives us because of what he finished on our behalf. And on that day that Jesus died, he commends himself into God's hands. And what happens? Uh, the earth shook, and even the centurion says very clearly, surely this was the Son of God. And then what's beautiful, as we've celebrated just five weeks ago, was the stone was rolled away after three days in the grave. 
and the death of death came because of Jesus. And then he ascended on high and gives us the power that comes through his resurrection. It's interesting in Acts chapter 3, verse 15, Peter says this, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And it's interesting when we look at the resurrection as an act in history, uh, some think that the disciples stole his body away. But let's just think about that. Uh, These uh, fishermen, uh, having gone through all that they experienced with Good Friday, I just can't see them overpowering the Roman guards. It's just not going to happen. And what's truthful, when we look at the lives of those disciples, those 11 men in particular, there was a lot that they experienced following Jesus. All the disciples but John were martyred for their faith. And so that should say something to us about just how they followed Jesus and how the resurrection of Jesus as an act in history is, is a true thing that took place. It's the one that can be verified and that we are here today in worship because of what Jesus accomplished for us. And so we look at the ministry of Jesus, and then we look at the resurrection of Jesus, and then we need to look in a very particular way at the message of Jesus. Now, it's interesting, uh, John writes that we shouldn't believe in every spirit, that we need to test the spirits, and the idea that there's going to be many people who come along who are going to be false prophets, if you will, in our world. And so it's interesting, in 1 John, he says this in chapter 4, verse 2, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, I think this is interesting. Uh, Another pastor who's retired now, Tim Keller, he's in the PCA uh, tribe. He's written extensively on the resurrection of Jesus and on the life and ministry of Jesus. It's interesting as he presents this in Tim's writings, as he looks at Scripture, says that Jesus has come. It doesn't say that he was born. Of course, we know that he was born, right? But it talks many times about how Jesus came into the world, in which this implies that he was somewhere else before this world. And as we said about the other religions as we began our conversation today, every other religious founder was a human being. It is what we learn in John chapter 1, that God becomes flesh and and moves into our neighborhood. And that's what distinguishes Christianity from any other faith understanding. See, the problem is that when we look at other faith traditions, they seek to separate us from the world. So when we think about our friends that are in the Eastern religions, they overcome the world through stages of various consciousness. Or here in the West, we tend to think about our moral behavior, right? That we escape the world by not doing the things of the world, and then we go to heaven. But what's interesting, as I shared the the great verse that Jesus shares with Nicodemus, for God so loved the world, it is that. That's what Christianity is all about, that Jesus comes to us. He comes to do what we couldn't do. And so there is this beauty, right, that the salvation of God isn't just to escape this world, but actually it's to redeem the world, to set the captives free, to free us from death and from disease and from poverty and from injustice. In Revelation 21, verse 4, the writer says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I think there's many people that ask the question in our culture, you know, what is the meaning of life? And there is a pursuit of truth. Many folks are looking for truth, I think, especially now more than ever. And you can choose your truth, but the truth is 
right? The kind of truth that is chosen mostly, it's something that's filled with rules and a, a belief system. And the reality is, is that truth in itself can't hug you. It can't forgive you. It can't even encourage you or even love you. And so what happens in our culture is we tend to take our question to other people. You know, where do I find my purpose in life? So we, we try uh, this thing called relationships. We try love, physical love, or even emotional love. But the thing we find there is in our brokenness, the love is imperfect. And it's just like uh, we are individually. Uh, we're all broken. Uh, it's, it is the same with our love. And then in so many cases, we, we live into lies and our self-centeredness and the reality is we let each other down and as we think about it this idea that truth can't love us uh, those that we love that love us and we attempt to love them that truth doesn't happen very well there either what we're looking for in terms of the real purpose of life in fact it's because we're all flawed we're all broken and then what ends up happening is people, and all you have to do is take a moment on social media and you see it so quickly, people abandon truth and they become cynical about love. And, and it, it just is one of those things where we find ourselves because we're looking for love in all the wrong places. Jesus said simply, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It isn't just an idea. Truth is a person, a person who has taken on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Because this truth is a person, Jesus, as the person, can love you in truth. And because he is the one without sin, his love is never going to let you down. And so we know this, right? It's simply Jesus is the name that is above all names. Part of the conversation that I have with many is that the things they've done somehow create something that puts them at odds against God that they're too bad, if you will, for God, that what they've done, God could never accept. But I, I want you to consider Jesus, because he's the answer. In fact, in Romans, Paul says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, because it's simply this, it's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's the finished work of Christ plus nothing. What religion is all about is about, about me. It's about if I obey God, he's going to love me. And it's interesting, I've seen pastors use this phrase, it's a do. It's what I have to do. But when we have a relationship with Jesus, it is all about him. And it's because he took on flesh that he so loved the world that he gave his life for us to rescue us. And we obey him out of that. And then the tension is the word done. It's not anything that we do. It's what he has done for us, D-O-N-E. So we say it this way, that Jesus is the way. He told us this, right? He is the truth and he is the life. And some may say, well, Christianity is exclusive. Well, it, it actually isn't. In fact, we know that Jesus comes after all the lost people. He comes after you and me to restore us. He comes after those that are the most broken comes after those that are the worst sinners. He comes to rescue them. And so our hope is in him. And it's in his work that accomplishes us. And so I pray that you'll lean into that today. And we, let's pray now together. 
God, we are grateful for this truth. Thank you that it's not about what we do, but about Jesus, what you've done for us. And so Holy Spirit, seal us with that. Encourage us in that moment and help us see all that you have for us. And we pray it in your strong name now. Amen.